What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. From Bonnie London Town, this is Obscure Season 4 in American Tragedy. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover, literary mansplainer-in-chief and Georgianologist Michael Ian Black. Southern gentleman Esquire, uh, feeling not in tip-top shape, didn't sleep last night. The wife and I both suffering from insomnia last night. Uh, she's been having trouble sleeping for weeks, nay, months, perhaps. Doesn't understand why. I did not sleep pretty much a wink last night for Reasons that are unclear to me. So I'm coming at you a little bit, dragging a little bit. Did manage to catch a few Z's a little while ago. Lack of sleep is a, it's almost paradoxical because you're awake longer, but you feel as though you've been alive less. So there's a little bit of a paradox. It's fun to think about. My trip abroad is coming to an end uh, in the next couple of weeks. I think I'm here for another 10 days or so, maybe even nine days at this point. Then it's home to Savannah for a few. Then it's off to Denver for a few. Then it's back to Savannah. Martha will be staying on in Europe because she has a little bit of work here. She was hired to uh, do some interior design when we were in Rome. A friend of ours hired her. And now she's going to go back to Rome to uh, do a little bit more work on that project. So I will be flying back to these United States, or I guess I should say those United States, by myself. And will be with my son in Savannah Town. Just two gentlemen on the town. Two bachelors sharing a home, like the odd couple, if it was father and son and... The couple wasn't very different from each other. My son and I have a lot in common. Too much, in fact, because he has inherited my 
penchant for being an indoor kid, you know, and that's fine, I think, when you're my age. Not so great when you're 22 and, you know, you should be out on the town, living it up, doing the things, seeing the folks, pressing the flesh. But he's content to just remain indoors all the time. Not that I blame him during these humid Savannah summers, but, you know, it's a it's a 12-month-a-year problem. I just wish he were out there more. But this is the thing about being a parent. You always wish something for your kids, you know? Um, it's hard to just, it's hard to just take a step back and let them be. Even when they're adult children, it's hard to just let them be because he seems content. So who am I to judge? Nobody. That's, that's who. Nobody at all. But you know, you want your kids to be happy. The thing is, I think he is happy. Unlike a certain Mr. Clyde Griffiths in An American Tragedy, a few years younger than my own son, you know, an assistant soda clerk at a B-level soda fountain there in Kansas City. But he has an opportunity now, an opportunity to make something more of himself. It's exciting. We're all excited for him. He's got an interview there at the fanciest hotel in KC to be a bellhop. And, you know, once you're a bellhop, that's just a... That's just a springboard to a better life. One minute you're checking somebody's baggage in, the next you're sitting on the board of a Fortune 500 company. You know, back in the 20s, being a bellhop was like working at McDonald's, a good first job. Taught you responsibility. Taught you to be Johnny on the spot. Taught you to defer to your betters and not be shy about asking for a tip at the end of it. That's where we left it last time. We're all excited for Clyde. You know, things are finally looking up for young Clyde Griffiths. So uh, why don't we get right into it, starting a new chapter today, Chapter 5 in American Tragedy. The imaginative flights of Clyde in connection with all this his dreams of what it might mean for him to be connected with so glorious an institution can only be suggested, for his ideas of luxury were in the main so extreme and mistaken and gauche, mere wanderings of a repressed and unsatisfied fancy which as yet had had nothing but imaginings to feed it. Right, he's got sort of Trumpian fantasies built up in his head of solid gold toilets and Playboy bunnies and, uh, and, and shag carpet three feet thick. Everything bejeweled like, uh, like a sultan's palace. You know, we can only suggest what's in Clyde's mind. Even our, even our narrator cannot peer that far, deeply, into Clyde Griffith's mind and crack open his brain like a walnut to see what gauche imaginings are residing there. Probably Clyde himself doesn't even know. Terry cloth robes lined with silk. Speedboats made from plutonium. All kinds of imaginings. He went back to his old duties at the drugstore, 
to his home after hours in order to eat and sleep. But now for the balance of this Friday and Saturday and Sunday and Monday until late in the day. He walked on air, really. His mind was not on what he was doing, and several times his superior at the drugstore had to remind him to wake up. And after hours, instead of going directly home, he walked north to the corner of 14th and Baltimore, where stood this great hotel, and looked at it. There, at midnight even, before each of the three principal entrances, one facing each of three streets, was a doorman in a long maroon coat with many buttons and a high-rimmed and long-visored maroon cap. And inside, behind looped and fluted French silk curtains, were the still-blazing lights, the a la carte dining room, and the American grill in the basement near one corner still open. And about them were many taxis and cars, and there was music always, from somewhere, imagine that, doormen standing outside even at midnight, the American Grill, serving up sizzling chops and steaks at that late hour. Can you imagine? A $5 steak at midnight on a Saturday night, my God. And surveying it all this Friday night and again on Saturday and Sunday morning, he returned on Monday afternoon at the suggestion of Mr. Squire's and was greeted by that individual rather crustily, for by then he had all but forgotten him. But seeing that at the moment he was actually in need of help, and being satisfied that Clyde might be of service, he led him into his small office under the stair, where with a very superior manner and much actual indifference, he proceeded to question him and to, as to his parentage, where he lived, at what he had worked before and where, what his father did for a living, a poser that for Clyde, for he was proud and so ashamed to admit that his parents conducted a mission and preached on the streets. Instead he replied, which was true at times, that his father canvassed for a washing machine and ringer company, and on Sundays preached, a religious revelation which was not at all displeasing to this master of boys, who were inclined to be anything but home-loving and conservative. Could he bring a reference from where he now was? He could. <laughs> well, we're getting a little insight into the nature of bellhops, are we not? Boys who were inclined to be anything but home-loving and conservative. Well, they sound Dickensian positively, do they not? These waifs, these orphans of the streets, probably tattooed and pierced in all the wrong places, no doubt. Probably riding up to work on Vespas and other exotic scooters. Ne'er-do-wells, the lot of them. And here comes Clyde Griffiths, a penitent young man looking for a hand up. Could he provide a reference? You bet your sweet ass he could. Mr. Squires proceeded to explain that this hotel was very strict. Too many boys, on account of the scenes and the show here, the contact made with undue luxury to which they were not accustomed, though these were not the words used by Mr. Squires, were inclined to lose their heads and go wrong. 
He was constantly being forced to discharge boys who, because they made a little extra money, didn't know how to conduct themselves. He must have boys who were willing, civil, prompt, courteous to everybody. They must be clean and neat about their persons and clothes, and show up promptly on the dot, and in good condition for the work every day. And any boy who got to thinking that because he made a little money, he could flirt with anybody, or talk back, or go off on parties at night, and then not show up on time or too tired to be quick and bright, needn't think that he would be here long. He would be fired, and that promptly. He would not tolerate any nonsense. That must be understood now, once and for all. Well, Mr. Squires is giving him the business right away. Listen, kid, you want to work here, you're going to take care of yourself. You're going to keep those fingernails clean. You're going to wash behind your ears. I'm not going to have any talk back nor lip. And if you think you're going to get a couple of bits in your pocket and go off chasing the whores and gambling, well, think again. This is a fine, upstanding establishment. We won't have any ruffians running around the place with their poor manners and slouching postures. You, sir, if you want to be a bellhop here, you're going to be good to go from moment one. Do you understand me? And we know what Clyde is going to say. Clyde nodded assent often and interpolated a few eager yes sirs and no sirs and assured him at the last that it was the furthest thing from his thoughts and temperament to dream of any such high crimes and misdemeanors as he had outlined. Mr. Squires then proceeded to explain that this hotel only paid $15 a month and board at the servant's table in the basement to any bellboy at any time. But, and this information came as a most amazing revelation to Clyde, Every guest for whom any of these boys did anything, carried a bag, or delivered a pitcher of water, or did anything, gave him a tip, and often quite a liberal one, a dime, 15 cents, a quarter, sometimes more. And these tips, as Mr. Squire explained, taken all together, averaged from four to six dollars a day, not less, and sometimes more. Most amazing pay, as Clyde now realized. His heart gave an enormous bound and was near to suffocating him at the mere mention of so large a sum. From four to six dollars. Why, that was twenty-eight to forty-two dollars a week. He could scarcely believe it. And that in addition to the fifteen dollars a month and board, and there was no charge, as Mr. Squires now explained, for the handsome uniforms the boys wore. But it might not be worn or taken out of the place. His hours, as Mr. Squires now proceeded to explain, would be as follows. On Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays, he was to work from six in the morning until noon, and then, with six hours off, from six in the evening until midnight. On Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, he need only work from noon until six, thus giving him each alternate afternoon or evening to himself. But all his meals were to be taken outside his working hours, and he was to report promptly in uniform for lineup and inspection by his superior, 
exactly 10 minutes before the regular hours of his work began at each watch. Well, I mean, my heart's skipping a little a little here when I'm hearing about the benefits and salaries that Clyde Griffiths is now going to be entitled. I mean, I don't I don't know how much money that is in today's dollars, but it it seems like a fair amount, does it not for a kid his age? 48 bucks a week plus meals plus a handsome uniform. Now, let's let's acknowledge he's working 7 days a week. Okay? I mean, that's a that's a heck of a lot of days in a week to work, but my goodness. A fella uh, could set himself up right with that kind of dough. Let's just see if we can crack up the old research machine and see how much, let's say $50 in 1925 worth today. And the research machine is going to tell us $50 in 1925 is equivalent in purchasing power to about $873 today. Wow. So you're 16. I mean, you're making a man's salary then. You're making that I mean that's uh that that's that's pretty close to a a decent salary for a single kid. I mean, what's that? 40 something thousand dollars a year? Let's just do the math on that. 873 times 52 equals $45,396. Plus he gets his meals for free. No wonder his head was blowing up. That's a lot. That's a hell of a lot of money. Good for him. I might see if that hotel's still hiring bellhops. Wouldn't mind getting in on some of that action myself. <sighs> well, maybe I'll maybe I'll take a quick break and dial up Kansas City and see if they're hiring bellhops. Uh all right, yeah. Back in a moment here on Obscure. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. 
back on Obscure, Clyde Griffiths taking the first leap forward as he seeks to make himself an independent adult, somebody of means, somebody of some importance, somebody with a little change in his pocket. Now, keep in mind, I said $873 a week. I'm pretty sure that's before the income tax was instituted, so that's that's income tax-free. No Social Security paid on that. No, uh, no Medicare, nothing. He's... He's just he's just out there racking up the bucks. Wow. I don't know what you even spend your money on in Kansas City. I suppose you there's no boardwalk to stroll, no promenade, no place to ride the loop-de-loop. But I'm sure he'll figure it out. I mean, he'll probably meet a gal at some point, and you know how expensive those can be. Is that sexist? You bet it is. As for some other things which were in his mind at the time, Mr. Squires said nothing. There were others, as he knew, who would speak for him. Instead, he went on to add, and then quite climactically for Clyde at that time, who had been sitting as one in a daze, I suppose you're ready to go to work now, aren't you? Yes, sir. Yes, sir, he replied. Very good. Then he got up and opened the door which had shut them in. Oscar, he called to a boy, seated at the head of the bellboy bench. (laughs) That's a, that's a phrase you don't hear too much. The Bellboy Bench. Not a bad name for a sketch comedy troupe. The Bellboy Bench. To which a tallish, rather oversized youth in a tight, neat-looking uniform responded with alacrity, Take this young man here. Clyde Griffiths is your name, isn't it? Up to the wardrobe on the 12th and see if Jacobs can find him a suit to fit. But if he can't tell... But if he can't, tell him to alter it by tomorrow. I think the one Silsby wore ought to be about right for him. Oh, I wonder what happened to Silsby. No doubt he was gallivanting around town. Showed up for work with a hangover one morning. Fired promptly, I'm guessing. Poor Silsby. I don't know what happened to him now. Probably a, probably a tenement farmer somewhere out in the Virginias. Then he turned to his assistant at the desk, who was at the moment looking on. I'm giving him a trial anyhow, he commented. Have one of the boys coach him a little tonight or wherever he starts in. Go ahead, Oscar, he called to the boy in charge of Clyde. He's green at this stuff, but I think he'll do, he added to his assistant as Clyde and Oscar disappeared in the direction of one of the elevators. Then he walked off to have Clyde's name entered upon the payroll. In the meantime, Clyde, in tow of this new mentor, was listening to a line of information such as never previously had come to his ears anywhere. You needn't be frightened if you ain't never worked at anything like this before, and it's it's written D-I-S. Before began this youth, whose last name was Hegland, as Clyde later learned, and who hailed from Jersey City, New Jersey. Exotic lingo, gestures, had entered upon an elevator labeled employees. It ain't so hard. I got my first job. <laughs> it ain't so hard. I got my first job in Buffalo three years ago. And, and it is pronounced. So if you hear me saying tree, it's, it's written T apostrophe R-E-E. Three years ago, and I never knew a thing about, about it up to that time. All you got to do is watch the others and see how they, they do. See? You get that, do you? So, Theodore Dreiser showing a little talent with dialect. 
intonation and accents, writing his Jersey City character a little bit like Bugs Bunny, which I don't mind at all. Oscar Hegland of Jersey City, home of Frank Sinatra. You ever meet Frank Sinatra, Clyde? Oh boy, can that, can that boy sing? Frank Sinatra, just a kid around that time, but soon to be making his debut, his professional debut on the stage with the Tommy Dorsey Orchestra. I don't know if that's true. Oh, now I got to look up to see when Frank Sinatra was born. God damn it. Totally irrelevant to this story, but I'm going to say Frank Sinatra was born in 19... Uh, I'm going to say 21. Frank Sinatra birth year. Ah, 1915. 1915. Old blue eyes. But, uh, you know, maybe Hegland's kid brother knows him. Clyde, whose education was not a little superior to that of his guide, commented quite sharply in his own mind on the use of such words as node and gotta, also upon ting, dat, utters, and so on. But so grateful was he for any courtesy at this time that he was inclined to forgive his obviously kindly mentor anything for his geniality. Watch whoever's doing anything at first, see, till you get to know, see? That's the way. When the bell rings, if you're at the head of the bench, it's your turn, see? And you jump up and go quick. They like you to be quick around here, see? And whenever you see anyone come in the door out of an elevator with a bag and you're at the head of the bench, you jump. Whether the captain rings a bell or calls front or not, sometimes he's busy or ain't looking and he wants you to do that, see? <laughs> okay. Teddy, I think you're going a little overboard here. Look sharp, because if you don't got no bags, you don't get no tips, see? Everybody that has a bag or anything has to have it carried for them, unless they won't let you have it, see? <laughs> but be sure and wait somewhere near the desk for whoever comes in until they sign up for a room, he rattled on as they ascended in the elevator. Most everyone takes a room. Then the clerk will give you the key, and after that, all you got to do is carry up the bags to the room. Then all you got to do is turn on the lights in the bathroom and closet, if there is one, so they'll know where they are, see? And then raise the curtains in the daytime, or lower them at night, and see if there's towels in the room, so you can tell the maid if there ain't. And then, if they don't give you no tip, you got to go, only most times, unless you draw a stiff. All you got to do is hang back a little, make a stall, see? Fumble with the door key, or try to transom, see? Then, if they're any good... They'll hand you a tip. If they don't, you're out. That's all, see? You can't even look as though you was sore, though. Nothing like that, see? <laughs> then you come back down unless they want ice water or something. You're true, see? It's back to the bench. Quick. There ain't much to it. Only you gotta be quick all the time, see? And not let anyone get by you coming or going. That's the main thing. Ugh. <laughs> oh. I'm a big fan of Oscar Hegland of Jersey City, New Jersey. Surprised it's not. I'm surprised he doesn't say it as Jersey. Well, maybe he does. We don't know. And after they give you a uniform and you go to work, don't forget to give the captain a dollar after every watch before you leave. See, two dollars on the day he has two watches, and a dollar on the day he has one. See, 
That's the way it is here. We work together like that, and you got to do that if you want to hold your job, but that's all. After that, all the rest is yours. So, a little kickback scheme to the captain. I don't know if the captain is Mr. Squires. I assume it is, but so uh, Squires is getting a little taste. He's getting his beak a little wet in the old uh, bird bath. Is he not? Not bad. Not bad at all. Not a bad position to hold. How many boys? How many shifts? So it's one, two, or it's probably about six, one, two, 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 three shifts a day, maybe four shifts a day, two, I don't know, but probably uh, times what, 10 bellboys? I mean, that, kid, that kid's doing all right. Clyde saw a part of his 24 or $32 as he figured it was going glimmering, apparently, 11 or 12, all told. But what of it? Would there not be 12 or 15 or even more left? And there were his meals and his uniform, kind heaven. What a realization of paradise. What a consummation of luxury. Mr. Hegland of Jersey City escorted him to the 12th floor and into a room where they found on guard a wizened and grizzled little old man of doubtful age and temperament, who forthwith outfitted Clyde with a suit that was so near a fit that without further orders it was not deemed necessary to alter it. And trying on various caps, there was one that fitted him, a thing that sat most rakishly over one ear, only as Hegland informed him, You'll have to get that harrier's cut. Better get it clipped behind. It's too long. And with that, Clyde himself had been in mental agreement before he spoke. His hair certainly did not look right in the new cap. He hated it now. And going downstairs and reporting to Mr. Whipple, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Whipple, Mr. Squire's assistant, the latter had said, Very well, if it's all right, does it? Well, then you go on here at 6. Report at 5.30. Be here in your uniform at 5.45 for inspection. This whole book does have a slightly Dickensian air, does it not? Is Dreiser not the American Dickens? I guess we shall see. But anytime you're dealing with young ruffians, you know, young kids out on the streets trying to hustle up a buck or two, you can't help but think about Dickens. And then you've got poor Hester, also known as Esther, out there with her beau. Heard James Franco gallivanting around the town, God knows where, doing God knows what, with God knows who. Wouldn't be surprised if uh, she paraded herself into the hotel to meet her brother at some point in the not-too-distant future. I guess we shall see. Whereupon Clyde, being advised by Heglin to go then and there to get his uniform and take it to the dressing room in the basement and get his locker from the locker man, he did so and then hurried most nervously out, first to get a haircut, and afterwards to report to his family on his great luck. He was to be a bellboy in the great Hotel Green Davidson. He was to wear a uniform, and a handsome one. He was to make, but he did not tell his mother at first what he was to make truly. But more than eleven or twelve at first, anyhow, he guessed he could not be sure. For now, all at once, he saw economic independence ahead for himself, if not for his family, and he did not care to complicate it 
with any claims which a confession as to his real salary would most certainly inspire. But he did say that he was to have his meals free because that meant eating away from home, which was what he wished. And in addition, he was to live and move always in the glorious atmosphere of this hotel, not to have to go home ever before 12 if he did not wish, to have good clothes, interesting company maybe, a good time, gee, <laughs> and uh, the G is, is not mine, that is, that is Dreiser's G. And as he hurried about his various errands now, it occurred to him as a final and shrewd and delicious thought that he need not go home on such nights as he wished to go to a theater or anything like that. He could just stay downtown and say he had to work, and that with free meals and good clothes, think of that. The mere thought of all this was so astonishing and entrancing that he could not bring himself to think of it too much. He must wait and see just how much he would make here in this perfectly marvelous, marvelous realm. That's interesting, and that's the end of chapter 5, by the way, but that last little phrase there, this perfectly marvelous, marvelous realm, marvelous is hyphenated with marvelous, <laughs> as if it were a kind of Willy Wonka-ish confectionery, a marvelous, marvelous realm. And I suppose it is, because it, it is a world unto itself, is it not? Almost fictional, almost imaginary. But it is very, very real. The Green Davidson Hotel there in Kansas City, where Clyde Griffiths has struck gold, or at least maroon and green. And uh, I guess we'll leave it there. It's, uh, it's an exciting time for Clyde, you know. In these books, you got to take the wins where you can get them. It's an American tragedy, folks. We know these wins are going to be short-lived, so we, we got to celebrate them when we get them. Don't know how long Clyde is going to have the job. Maybe he'll get mixed up with, uh, you know, with Fagan and the rest of Oliver Twist's crew, and they'll go off on some capers and maybe rob some old ladies or pickpocket some fine gentlemen. Who knows? But we know this is not going to end well for Clyde Griffiths or for Hester known as Esther or probably for any of the Griffiths clan. Because when greed is your motivation, when you're just trying to accumulate vast sums and gobs of money, well... Things don't always work out so well, do they? I mean, in actual fact, they do for a lot of people. But here in the fiction of Teddy Dreiser, we can imagine they do not because we know how glinty-eyed he is when looking at the woes of capitalism and the sufferings that it brings, this unalloyed Ayn Randian greed. Actually, we don't know. I'm surmising based on what we've learned so far. And we're still just, just, uh, we've just barely nicked this book. I mean, yeah, we've finished chapter five, but my God, we have probably about 120 chapters left to go. We're going to be here for a while, folks. Buckle up, strap in. Enjoy this short-lived victory as we contemplate another exuberant episode of Obscure 
next week. But until then, I wish you adieu. This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and Robin Lynn. Our theme music is by Craig Wedrin. If you listen and like the show, please help us out with a rating and a review. We want to be obscure, but not that obscure. It's an easy way to support the show. Thanks. <laughs>